Are you saved? Am I saved? How can we know for sure? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Yes, we can know that we belong to Jesus, and we don't have to rely on our fluctuating feelings. The Apostle John gave us some tests that we can use for that. We may be shocked at the things John does not consider to be marks of authenticity, our baptism as a baby, church membership, or even responding to an altar call at a crusade. His first test has to do with our conduct. Here's Jim. I hope you brought your copy of God's Word with you today. If so, open it to the little epistle of 1 John. 1 John. If you want some help in finding little 1 John, go all the way to the end of the New Testament, the book of the Revelation, and then come back from it, just a short book or two, and you'll find 1 John. Teacher had given an examination, and Johnny didn't do well. Johnny knew that he didn't do well. And so he tried to turn the question back on the teacher. He said, well, teacher, what do you think the answer is? The teacher said, Johnny, I don't think. I know. And he said, I don't think I know either. (laughs) John has written these little epistles for us so that we can know some things for sure. And in them, he gives us six tests to see if our faith is real. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He establishes the baseline so that we can know some things for sure. That which was from the beginning, John writes, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Look at chapter 4, 1 John, the first several verses. John explains that 
he was living and we are living in times of conflict. He tells us we need to test what we hear because many false theories, false teachings have gone out into the world. Though they have a religious flavor and though they sound religious, they are really not teachings that find their root and substance in truth. They are error. They are of Antichrist. John was concerned about that. Although he lived uh, 50 years after the Lord Jesus Christ had uh, ascended back to heaven, and although he ministered throughout the churches that were being started in, in Asia Minor and out through Europe, John could see even then, even then, a few dozen years after Jesus Christ had gone back to heaven, that the working of error, that our adversary, Satan, was confusing the message and was causing great confusion among people. So John wrote this little epistle, and he wants us to know that he researched it well. That's what those first three verses are all about. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have scrutinized, that which we've handled. John wants us to know that he's a qualified messenger. He was one of the first chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ when he began his public ministry. Prior to that, John had been a follower of John the Baptist. But when Jesus was baptized of John and came out of the water, the Spirit of God descended in the form of a dove, the Father spoke from heaven, this is my well-beloved Son, hear him. From that moment on, John attached himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of the 12 whom Jesus chose, John was conspicuously the favorite. It was John's position in the upper room, leaning upon the Lord's breast, that positioned him to be able to ask the Lord, Lord, who is this one who you say is going to betray you? John's spirit was especially sensitive to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wants us to know that he's qualified to talk about this. He'd been there, he'd done that, he'd seen this, he had tasted that, he had scrutinized carefully the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years. Remember, it was John who stood at the foot of the cross, and Jesus said, Son, behold your mother, speaking of his own mother. Mom, behold your son. And from that time on, John became the custodian of Mary, who as a virgin had conceived Jesus Christ. John had close connections to Jesus. Therefore, he's qualified to write. Now, he says, let me summarize for you everything that is vital. Let me get down to the very bare necessities. Here it is. This is the message. This is the root message. This is the core value. This is the central truth. God is light. In him is absolutely no darkness. Now, boys and girls, moms and dads, there's a truth for you to chew on. 
It's telling us that the things that we observe about light have a correlation or a truth value about God. The more we can learn about light, the more things we can learn about God. Now, it's not true that light is God. That's not true. If you see light, therefore you see God. John is saying that light, in all of its properties, all of its values, all of its functions, is the best thing in the physical world by which you can understand God. Now think for just a few moments this morning and then make a mental memo. Think about this this week. Think about all the things we know to be true about light. For instance, right now, the days are getting shorter. We have less sunlight than we had earlier this summer. And as the days get shorter, the amount of, of light that comes from the sun to the earth gets less. What happens? Well, vegetation begins to die. You see the leaves beginning to turn brown. And as we go on into the fall and into the winter, leaves will gradually fall off the trees. Days will become shorter, less light. Darkness will increase, more night. And the temperature will begin to change as well. Why? Because the sun, the source of the physical light, energizes the world. You can't add cold to anything. In order to make something cold, you have to take away the heat. So our refrigerator, our freezer, doesn't add cold. It's designed to take the heat out of whatever you want to freeze, whether it's a popsicle or whether it's a ham. The refrigeration unit is designed to remove the heat. Light and darkness are like that. You can't add darkness to anything. Darkness is the absence of light. So as the sun's rays, uh, the opportunity for the sun's rays to strike the earth are diminished, darkness increases, and with, with darkness comes cold. God is light. God is the one who energizes all of his creation just as the sun lights the sunlight energizes the growth and life cycles on our earth. If you turned the sun off, what would happen to our planet? It would die and freeze because the energy from the sun transmitted to it through the light waves, that energy fuels, energizes, and gives light. Another way to say that is, that all of our life systems on this earth are geared to use light. We need light. The most obvious way we need light is to see. The more light is diminished, the more difficult it is for us to see because our eyes are made to function in response to visible light rays. And that same thing is true with God. Same thing is true with God. 
God is necessary to the functioning of our lives. We don't work right when we're not connected vitally to God. He is not only the energy for us, the source of energy, but he is also the one who, who has designed us, and he designed us to function in a system which involves him. Just like light is necessary for my eyes to function, so God is necessary for my conscience to function, for my moral balance, for my sense of judgment, for my, for my wisdom. God is essential to all that. Another thing to think about, light comes to us in a wide spectrum. If you took a ray of light and you shined it into a prism, then that ray of light, that visible light, would break out into a spectrum like the rainbow. Now, we don't see, um, we don't see light so much. Uh, that is to say, light is more difficult to see unless it's broken into that spectrum, and then the various color components of the light are broken out. But above that spectrum, there are all kinds of light rays that we can't see with our eye and that are not broken down by a prism. There are X-rays and gamma rays and on it, on it goes. The same thing is true below the spectrum of light. So the band of light that comes and strikes the earth is both visible and invisible. That also tells us about God. God was eternal and invisible and one of the Godhead, God the Son, stepped out and became visible, became a man. Just like shining a ray of light through a prism, it breaks it into colors. So God the Son became human, and in his humanness, all the colors, the manifold aspects of many of the attributes of God became real, became knowable, became tangible. But God like the band of electromagnetic energy we call light. God is far bigger than just that part we see. He is far invisible. There are invisible qualities of God we cannot see, haven't seen, and may never be able to see. And there are aspects of God that we may never be able to search out. And John has all that in mind when he writes, God is light. Study light. Uh, the last I heard, light was the fastest thing we knew about. Travels 186,000 plus uh, miles, I think it is, isn't it? 186,000 miles per second, something like that. That's very quick. That, that's, that's very, very quick. And that gives us the sense that light is everywhere all the time, that light moves so fast from one point to another point that it seems like it's at both points at the same time. That also reminds us of God tells us something about God. God is eternal, and God is omnipresent. God is everywhere present. God doesn't have to move like light does from one place to another, but God is everywhere present. How can he be that? I don't know. You don't know. No one here can explain that. But it's true. God is light. As light is central, as it is source, as it is necessary for everything we understand and experience about life, all of our organs function accordingly, our planet functions accordingly, uh, uh, accordingly, as the sun and the light from the sun is essential to the earth life, 
So God is essential to human life. And when you're cut off from God, the same thing happens to you personally that happens to a plant when you shut off the sunlight. If you take a plant that's blooming on your front, on your front door and you take it downstairs in the basement, back in one of the closets where it's very, very dark and put it back there and close the door, what's gonna to happen to that plant? It's gonna wither and die because it needs the sunlight. It cannot function without the sunlight. It's not the sun. It doesn't generate its own energy. Now, when the sun strikes the plant, then through that marvelous thing, photo something or another that takes place with the, with the uh, leaves, and the sunlight enables that plant, like a little factory, to produce things, and the plant will grow. It'll become strong. It'll become how God intended it to be. That's what John wants us to know. What's the message? What's the bottom line? God is essential. God is light. Without God, we can't function as we were designed to function. We need God. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. God is absolutely light. And he is always light. And he never fluctuates, never changes, never gets dim, never gets bright. God is constant. There is no darkness in him absolutely at all. Now, what does darkness have to do with light in what John is trying to teach us? Hold your finger here and flip back for just a moment to John chapter 3. You will remember verse 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then John goes on to discuss what is this condemnation that required God to provide salvation for us. And he says the condemnation, I think it's verse 18. I'll get there in a minute. This, verse 19, this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. That's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or revealed. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God, or that they are performed in God's energy and strength. Here John says that our, our evil deeds, the things we do, that we know are wrong, we consciously choose to do them in the darkness. Now, people are more and more brazen today than they were back when I was a child. And back in the day of my grandfather, they were less brazen, or maybe fewer of them were as brazen. But as a rule, when people are doing things that they know are wrong, they try to hide, and they try to get under the cover of darkness. Uh, there was a, um, 
As we were returning from conference this week, uh, my wife and I stayed at a, a motel, and next door to the motel, there was a huge, big establishment that was uh, advertising for men, for men only. And that night, at night, when we checked into the hotel, it was about uh, probably 9.30, 10 o'clock, so it was dark, and that place was just, just bustling. You couldn't find a parking place anywhere. Uh, patrons who were going over into that building were parked over in areas crowding out parking lots that were designed for other businesses. The place was just hopping. The next morning when we left, it was dead as a doornail. There weren't any cars moving. You could have parked any place in the parking lot. Now what does that tell you? It tells you in part that the things that are going on in that building are things that are done in darkness because people instinctively want to be hidden from light when they're doing things that are wrong. Well, see, God never does anything wrong. There is no darkness in God. God doesn't have a bad conscience. God doesn't have to learn what's right, what's wrong. God always chooses to do what is right. He is light. There is no evil, no darkness in him at all. So any darkness or any evil does not originate with God. And any time I discover evil or darkness inside myself or in my conduct, I cannot blame it on God. I can't say, God made me do that. Or I learned to do that by following God. Or God showed me how to do that. Or God blesses me in spite of the fact that I do that. All those are lies. Anything less than light, anything other than light in my life, in my behavior, anything that I want to do, and when I do it, I want to pull the darkness in so no one else can see and where I feel very private and very protected. Anything that I do like that does not find its source in God. God's not that kind of person. God is always light. He is only light. And in God, there is absolutely no darkness. Another New Testament writer taught that God was the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James was emphasizing God's goodness and constancy in that metaphor. Light also gives life and growth and has other properties that Jim pointed out today. Ultimately, we want to know how we can be sure we're in the kingdom, and John's first test for that is walking in the light. We have a CD of the message ready to send out to you for a gift of $7 or more. We're starting a very short series in the little book of 1 John. The title is We Can Know Some Things For Sure, and the three discs can be yours for a donation of $15 or more. Let me ask you to remember right starting your prayers, and if you could help support the ministry financially, that would be an important boost for us. We were all able to hear today's show because some folks in the audience decided to be more than just hearers of the word. Our thanks to them always. To reach us, it's as easy as mailing us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Our web address is rightstartradio.org. 
There you can listen to radio shows or entire sermons. If your schedule is unpredictable, consider signing up for the Right Start podcast so you can listen when it's convenient. You can link to that from our site, plus you can email us and you can donate to the cause. We hope you'll head to rightstartradio.org soon and often or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. When we walk in the light, we get more light. That's a promise worth pursuing. Please join us on Monday and let's get the new week off to a right start.